Dear Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we thank you so much for a, a beautiful day that you gave us today, the beautiful sunshine and the fellowship and the, and the messages that we've heard today. Lord, you are so good. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to be with us throughout this whole camp meeting, Lord. May our hearts and minds be drawn to you. May we take these messages and apply them to our lives that you would um, change us more and more to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with Tom and Elaine tonight, that you would just put your words into their mouth, that you'd give us all attentive ears. May you fill this place with your angels and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to talk about something this evening that is very dear to, I believe, all of our hearts. Putting the family first. And that's at least one of the reasons why we're all here, I believe, is because the family is the first real mission field. Now, we would all agree with that, but we probably, if we're really honest, would also recognize that There's an adversary that's working against that. The world works against it. The busyness of life works against it. And so sometimes... Sometimes we even work against it. (laughs) We end up cooperating with all those work against it, and family doesn't end up being first. Now, I'm hearing an echo in the sound system. You hear that? (laughs) It's really strong up here. It's really strong up here. So I know that you're doing the best. It's, it's great that we can be heard out there. Sorry. I know Dad's at a meeting, right? <laughs> okay. Well, that's all right. Do you hear the echo or is it just us? Oh, we'll it's just get, us. Okay. We'll just adjust to it We'll then. just hear ourselves a lot longer than you do. <laughs> it's like being on a phone and when you hear yourself speak, you hear it back into your ear again. And it's like, okay, right, we'll adjust. So, family first. If... You'll be real honest with us. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to raise your hand here, but we want you to think over the last week, and we're, we're not going to count this, week. this camp meeting, but, but before camp meeting, one week prior, we want you to all, don't talk together, but personally, each man, woman, and child out here in the family, I want you to think about how much family time you've had together over the seven days preceding coming to camp meeting. So it doesn't count driving to camp meeting. Okay? So I want you to think for just just a few seconds, okay? How much family time you had prior to driving to camp meeting or flying to camp meeting or whatever you did. They don't need long to think about that. We'll give them 15 more seconds. Okay. Then we're going to ask you, anybody, raise your hand if you'd like to tell us how much, how many hours you've had of family time in the last seven days before you came to camp meeting. Okay? Go ahead. Raise your hand. Yes. Yeah, telephone calls count if that's how you're connecting as, you know, family. Okay. 
Two hours. You had a bonfire. How long? Okay. All right. That was okay. So we'll say you had an hour bonfire time. Anybody else? Oh, How many hours of family time did you have the seven days preceding your drive to family camp? Four hours. Four hours. Okay, we're getting higher. Okay, moving up. All the way in the back. Go ahead. This is just connected time with the family. It does You can qualify it however you want to. Back here. She's got her hand up. Okay. Six and a half. Now, what about this side over here? You're very silent. Is family time happening over here? <laughs> All right. Joel. Ten. Whoa. Ten. We're moving up. Okay. Six days. Six days? <laughs> you six had six days, days of family time? <laughs> okay. okay. They've come over to visit. They're on vacation. Okay. That, that does help to magnify the amount of time, right? That's good. That's good. <laughs> yes, right here. Okay. Sabbath together, an eight, ten hour day. All right, go ahead, dear. Okay. We want to qualify the question. We just threw it out there, and we were hoping some children would, would answer because what we found at family camps is usually the parents give a really high number, like eight or ten hours in the week, and usually you hear the children maybe one or two hours in the week. So we were hoping to get some children to volunteer. But anyway, we want to, we want to narrow or qualify the question down. How much time is you ha- have you had together as a family in, a, in the past week from... Before Tuesday, okay, a week ago. And we are asking that that does not include the fact that you sleep under the same roof. So that does remove some of those whole days. Um, That you are not watching a movie or TV or, you know, you're not doing something on the internet or you're not texting or you're not on the phone or you're not all doing your own things in other rooms or somebody's out mowing the lawn and somebody's in the kitchen doing the dishes. We want to know how much time have you had in the last week to be connected as a family? Purposefully. Now, purposefully. Now, Becky over here said, does that, does uh, worship time and mealtime qualify? Yes, if, if you are actually communicating and connecting. Because we have been guilty somewhat in the past ourselves so you could actually sit at the same table at the same time eat the same food and have very little to no communication so we're talking about connected time communication time heart bonding time in whatever activities you do so that does exclude whole days because unless you're all talking all night long, then that doesn't work. But anyway, time together. So how many would like, who would like to volunteer with that qualification to see what you've done this last week? Now you're afraid to. Okay. Got, got a hand being A brave raised. man back here. 14. 14 hours. You want to come up and give the message? <laughs> okay. Excellent. That's good. So give us an idea of what those 14 hours, how you are connecting. 
Great. Good. It'd be a good example then. All right. I saw a young lady on the front row here. Did you have your hand up? One to two hours. Okay. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you for sharing. Anybody else? On this far left wing. Come on. Over here. All the way up. We haven't heard from you, you folks over there. Oh, yes, we, yeah, did, we did over we here. From Sorry. You. Okay. 14 hours. Okay. Wesley. 15. Okay. All right. Go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, ladies first. Okay. Well, the point is that when we hear these kind of questions, we all are very quick to say something that makes us feel really good, right? But we qualify it because we want to, we know from our own experience, we want to really see if we are giving ourselves too many gold stars or if we're really living up to what we want to answer first. So it's just a thought question so that we can all, and we want to include families here whose children are grown and gone, families who don't have children. We fall in that category. We fall in that category of children grown and gone. gone. (laughs) So it includes everybody in the room. And I really appreciated what you shared because you live alone, if I'm remembering correctly. So he is connecting with his family. He lives alone, but he's still a part of a family. He's connecting by phone. So even if our family isn't under our same roof or we can do things together, we can still reach out to connect and keep the hearts close, right? So we want to talk about how we can do that practically. Well, there was an interesting study that was done, and actually it's been done in several universities, because something's happening here in America, which has been happening. There's been a steady decline in the quality of education in America, and that's not a new thought to many of you, I'm sure. There's been a decline in our scholastic status overall in America compared to other countries. There's been a decline in morality. There's been a decline in the connectedness of the family. Decline in respect for authority. Yes, a decline in respect and all these things. And so some studies were done and my wife has looked at several of these, to try to determine what it is that makes a difference between a young person who is much more successful in several categories of life than most of their peers. And what did you, what did you find out? This was very interesting because they did this study from children in grade school all the way through high school. And what they anticipated finding would have something to do with some of our preconceived ideas that success is because these children come from two-parent homes or they come from a certain social economic level or they, you know, these type of factors that... I have high IQ. Yeah, they have a high IQ. These kind of factors that oftentimes help us determine whether or not somebody's going to be successful or not. You know what? They found it had nothing to do with those issues at all, those factors. What they found is that children who came to school whose parent or parents, didn't matter the race, didn't matter if it's a single family parent, single parent home, a two-parent home, biological parents, or a blended family, but children of all ages who came to school whose 
home life included one meal a day together as a family. How many meals? One meal a day together as a family where it was totally uninterrupted. That meant there was no TV in the background. Nobody was sitting at the table texting their friend at school. Nobody was on the the iPad, looking stuff up on their, you know, internet or whatever. They, they ate the meal together, one meal a day, and they communicated during that meal. They talked about life. They talked about, pro, they processed the day. How was it for Billy in school today? And what did, you know, Betty do at school today? What did dad do or what did mom do? And if it was just a single parent, mom would share her life and, and draw out from the children what they went through in the day. And they processed every day together, eating the meal together for that one period of time. Maybe we would say 45 minutes because most of the families, it, it fell in the evening meal. The results they found, that was the only common denominator. common denominator, and the results they found were astounding. That these young people from childhood, little children, all the way up through the junior high, high school level, these children scored higher academically. It had nothing to do with their intelligence level. It had all to do with how they were relating to real life. Secondly, they found out that these children were socially uh, able to connect with all ages of people than their counterparts who only hung out with their age group and who didn't have time to talk about life at home with their parent or parents. So they got along with everybody. A child knew how to speak to an older person. Uh, Older youth could learn and and could enjoy the company of a first or second grader because that was what was happening in the home in the family dynamics because you have different age levels. And when you learn to communicate in the family that way, then you learn to communicate with others in the same way. And last but not least, they found that these children, and this was really the underlying reason they did the study, They wanted to find out why are so many young people in America that are, you know, a nation that is so supposed to be progressive and intelligent, why are young people going over the deep end and all kind of weird things and bad habits and addictions? And they found that children who came from these homes where they had one meal together every day in processed life, they shared heart to heart, they connected as a family, These children, these youth, these young people had 50% less risk to go into drugs, alcohol, or tobacco abuse and other types of abuses and habits that were destructive habits. So if that was the result with one meal a day, that didn't even bring God into the picture. Just think what potential that we have as Christians... If we build on that platform and we go past that platform and we put God in the center of that, it is, it is amazing what we can see God can do in our families. Amen. And obviously, because the world works against that and because our adversary, the devil, works against that, what can happen, and we've seen this with our own eyes, and fortunately we didn't experience it in our home. Our young people were just a little bit ahead of this information technology age, or whatever you want to call it, 
I can't keep up with all the terminology, but you know what I'm talking about, okay? We still were able to sit down under the same roof and not have all these devices that so easily can put a family into different places in the world at the same time. We've been in homes recently where everybody in the home is under the same roof and completely disconnected, absolutely disconnected. One person is texting someone across the country. Another person is absorbed in surfing the Internet. Another person is on, you know, watching the television. Another person, and all are disconnected, but they're all together under the same roof. That didn't used to happen in America, with or without God. Today, it is a challenge to keep our families connected, even under the best circumstances. Because now, so much of the world and so much of the, you know, what can be tools for good have been used to come in without knocking on the door and to come in and invade our refuge. Our homes should be a refuge. And in many homes today, many times parents don't even know because they can't keep up with technology and somehow the young people that are born today, you can, I'm serious, if you have a problem with a device, just take it to a seven or eight year old and they'll figure it out. They don't even need the manual. It's true. I don't know how that happens. I don't know where it comes from. But part of the liability of that is many of those young people are going places and their parents can't keep up. And yet the parents are succumbing to peer pressure because, as we heard one young person say, it's really hard to be the only child in school in my class without an iPhone. Without an iPhone. So the pressure is there that there's more and more that, and you know, we're, we're speaking of this in terms of these are tools, but if we as parents are not keeping up with this technology age, our young people can sometimes be unconsciously swept away or consciously doing things that we as parents would not want them to do right under our noses. So, it requires vigilance. It requires staying connected. It requires us having time together to really process. This was just one meal that made the difference in, this, in these surveys. One meal made the difference connected. So we need to be spending the extra energy, whatever it requires. And it makes the, the scripture come alive where First Timothy 5.8 says, if any provide not for his own, especially for those in his own house, he hath denied the faith. So who is this talking to? The worldling? No. It's talking to professed God's people. That if we're not taking care of providing for the needs of our own home, we're denying the faith and we are worse than an infidel. Is that strong language? Now I would never stand up here and say that to you that you're denying the faith and that you're an infidel if you're not providing for your own home. But this is talking about much more than bringing home a paycheck. Because this is talking about faith. This is talking about infidelity or fidelity under the Lord in our homes. 
And today, I think it's much more difficult than even 15 years ago when our children were in the teenage years. It's much more difficult to maintain the fidelity of the home, to maintain the faith of the home, and we need to do whatever it takes. And that's what we want to spend the next few minutes talking about, the practical side of that. And just to add to that, I know there's people here who say, we don't, use, we, don't, we don't allow those devices or we don't have those issues. But we still all face the same enemy. And he is not limited by devices to try to dis- destroy our homes. And we have little phrases that we easily say. It goes something like this. I'm too busy. I don't have time right now. I'm too tired. Later... And all of those types of statements really can do, have the same damaging effect in our homes as the devices to a degree because it, it's taking us away from the most important uh, responsibility and privilege that God has given us. So we want to look at some of the ways that we can then readjust or to get encouraged to continue on in our families to build them strong for the Lord. And the first thing we want to talk about is taking time, and this includes couples here, by the way, taking time daily for family communication. If that happens at the meal, that's great, and it should. And in our home, that's where it did. Breakfast we had together, and we had our second meal of the day together. So we were very blessed in that. But we recognize that we needed something as our young people started getting older and they weren't quite as interested in so much play as they were talking and processing that we needed to encourage and have more time where we just sat together as a family and we talked about life. What's on your mind? What do you want to share? You know, what would you like to do? And so we actually spent and put in our schedule a half an hour every evening to just talk heart to heart. And if we will provide this, and we thank God that he helped us to recognize the need of that, if we want to bind the hearts of our children to us, we need to make that time. And we're talking about a commitment. The evening hours should be dedicated to the family. Those are not my words. That's inspiration saying to us, and it's very relevant for today, The evening hours should be dedicated to the family. Now, maybe we can't dedicate all the hours of the evening, but we need to, and we believe with all of our hearts, it's a worthwhile investment to dedicate a part of the evening hours to the family. We made that commitment, and yes, sometimes we, you know, we got out of balance or we got busy, but most all the time we stayed with that commitment. And it became so important to our family that even when we were I remember being in Australia. We were there for how many weeks? Between New Zealand and Australia, we were over there six weeks. Six weeks with people all the time. I remember coming back and our first meal alone as a family. Six weeks later. Six weeks. Constantly with people. And we, we had a stopover in Hawaii coming back. And we were all sitting at the table and we said... Well, This is so wonderful. Our first meal with nobody else here. It just felt so good. Well, part of that was because we're used to processing. And there in Australia, we took time, even if it was 10 o'clock at night, 
we took at least five or ten minutes to process the day, to talk about something, to connect as a family. And I tell you, if you're not doing that, it becomes very difficult when you run into to hard times in the family, when you run into situations where you want the trust to be there and you want to be able to have your young people open up to you. It's very difficult if you aren't giving them that kind of time on a daily basis. We need that. We need that communication time. Yes, we do, dear. <laughs> so I, I want to just say something, because we do, too. How do you deal with the empty nest syndrome? We have an empty nest. We've had an empty nest for quite a few years. Well, I'll tell you the way you cope with it. You have your second honeymoon. That's what we're on, our second honeymoon. It's an extended second honeymoon. It's wonderful. It is, it is. I remember one night, shortly after our, our daughter Allison was married, and we were, you know, we're committed in ministry, and sometimes you just get so involved in whatever it is you do, right? Whether it's ministry or graphic arts or whatever your, your talents or interests are. And I was sitting at my little desk in the kitchen and my husband's in the bedroom in the little office and it was eight o'clock at night. And all of a sudden I became aware that we weren't having the evening together anymore. We would have our, our meal together and as soon as the meal was over, he'd go back to the office and I'd go do the dishes and then I would sit down at my desk and then we would, you know, talk a few minutes before he'd go to bed. And I, I recognized there was something missing. Because every evening, all through those years when our children were growing up, we talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. I mean, it became almost addictive to us. And now, because of the pressure of ministry and trying to get things done and trying to, you know, do more in the ministry and meeting more needs, we were unintentionally leaving each other out. And so I went into the office and I stood in the door and I said, Honey. And he looked at me and I says. We're still a family, aren't we? That was a wake-up call to me. <laughs> Actually, you, I thought you asked me a question, but it was... Oh, maybe I did. I thought the question was, are we still a family? Yeah, you're right. I did say that. <laughs> it just really kind of hit me hard, and I realized instantly what she meant by that. Are we still a family? Every night for years and years and years, we had family talk time. And if anybody was going to miss out on it, one person in our family would always not let it happen. That was Emily, <laughs> the one that's uh, going to be having a baby soon. She would not let us miss family talk time. And I'm thankful for that. So here's my wife saying, are we still a family? <laughs> And that night was another turning point for us as a couple. I mean, in love, literally, on our second honeymoon. But not having the family talk time that we needed and recognized it that night. And we made adjustments to our schedule. We said we stop work at 6 o'clock. Is that good? Yes. It was good for us. We're stopping at 6 o'clock, and the work will never end, okay? And it's different than, you know, when we used to work in the hospital, and you, you know, you left work, and you left work. That's it. And then you come back. 
and somebody else does the work while you're gone. But when we go away, when we go to Australia for three or four weeks or six weeks or whatever, the work doesn't go away. So we come back, and the work is there, and the needs are there. And so we think, okay, the children aren't there, so we'll just work all the time. We just want to get caught up. Right. <laughs> caught up. We didn't intentionally want to work all the time. No. But we have, we've reformed. We have. And he, he liked the question. And, and it's I did. really good because we have stayed with that commitment. So we share that because and we, I, I like you too. I know you do. <laughs> We're talking about family first. So. You are my first family. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, anyway, my train of thought was. You're not going to get embarrassed, are <laughs> no, you? No, not at all. Good. <laughs> even, if, even if we are just a couple, and I'm looking at some of you couples out there, we still need that time, don't we? Absolutely. And the second thing we want to talk about, and this is one that most parents don't recognize, but oftentimes the children do. Can you think what that might be, children, young people out there? What is something else to make our family first? What, what is something children like? My children. There oh, you perfect, go. Perfect right answer. Right here on the front row. Didn't even prime her for that. <laughs> That my, child, my parents will play with me. Is that good? That's good. Do you children like that? How many young people like it when your parents want to play with you? Okay, good. Now, children, how many good. of you liked it when mom and dad were out there today with you? Let's see your hands. And I'm not going to ask you children to raise your hands if your parents were not out there. But that's a call to our hearts as parents. And actually, if we weren't forbidden by two surgeons that we can no longer play freeze tag out there we would be out there and we love it so it's still in our hearts and you know i think that family playtime or we call it family recreation we have put that in our schedule years ago when our children were very very young not when we should have at the beginning but when the lord kind of you know opened our eyes and turned on a really bright light because i was a very good and quick as, as a mother to say, I don't have time right now. I'm too busy. Later. Not right now. Please just go play. Just go play. Plus just you go spend play. a lot of time on the phone. Plus I spend a lot of time on the phone. You're right. But God changed my heart. And we started adding family playtime, family recreation every day, five nights a week for 30 minutes. Now that may sound like a lot of time to some of you. But in reality, two and a half hours in a week isn't that much. And you know what it's going to do for you as adults? It's going to help to keep your, you moving and your muscles a little bit more um, strong and your, your limbs and your, you know, good oxygenation. If you don't it, break yourself all up. Yeah, if you don't fall down and break yourself <laughs> up. But, so look for ways and things you can do. And in our family, we simply, because we had five people, every night somebody got to choose what they wanted to do. Or afternoon. Or afternoon. Depending on how dark it was and what we were going to do. That's right. So, therefore, you don't have one child or one parent who always picks what, and nobody wants to join in because I don't like that. Oh, he always gets to pick. He always picks that. It deals with attitudes. It's a beautiful way that we can help learn to enjoy crawling on the floor's mom with your little boys and your daughters play matchbox cars, which is what boys like to do at three, four, and five years old, right? Right, moms? I see the dad's heads moving, but where's the mom's heads? Oh, there's, there's a mommy out here. Actually, it's really good for us to get down and crawl on the floor. 
it stretches us and does things for us that don't get moved in other ways. So it won't hurt us, but it will bind our hearts. And so one night a week, we might play matchbox cars. Another night, maybe one of the girls picked house or dollies or... Oh, yeah, we played a lot of house. What did you pick? I know what I used to pick, but what did you pick? Oh, I usually picked doing something on the bikes or freeze tag or... Duck, duck, some goose. Kind of, yeah, just depending on the age. Age Something and... active out yeah, there. <laughs> he liked to run. He liked to run. So we wanted to encourage you, if you don't have family fun time, family recreation time then seriously consider the benefits that you will gain by putting it in the schedule. Because you're going to bind the hearts with your children, you're going to get more physically fit, and you're going to actually have fun doing it. Amen. (laughs) Well, I have fun doing it. I still do, right? We, we, were, we were in Romania last year, and well, right after I broke my arm and I was in a cast. Yeah, it was last year. And we go to an orphanage there every year, and my husband, who just had, you know, finished off his shoulder, he was out there. He's only going to be a goalie for these orphans, you know, and we, we connect with that little orphanage every year we go, and they're like our, our second family over there. And so I wasn't running. I wasn't playing freeze tag. I no. was just being a goalie. Yes, and he wasn't going to do anything well, heroic. Nothing, to, no diving. No diving. So, the, so unfortunately, and the most other of them side, are little children, too. They're the not other, big children. The other side's getting a lot of scores by you, right? <laughs> and I was feeling sorry because, you know, when they divide up, there's a couple of boys and then they, they pick their team and then the other one's golf and the other team and so we didn't know how to communicate because we could say about four words in Romanian after seven years so we're not really <laughs> fluent in the language but we didn't know how to communicate to say hey well, let's have a big guy here and a big guy there and a little guy here and a little guy there to try to even it up you know so I'm standing there on the sidelines with this big cast on and and the ball is coming to me and it's like yeah, I'll just kick it in, you know, <laughs> kick it to the underdog side, you know. And the next thing I know, I am in the game. I am running up and down this field, and my husband's saying, Honey, honey, get out of the game. You're going to fall down. Somebody's going to run into you. <laughs> so the kid is still in me, but that's because we enjoyed fun time as our children grew up. And we still like to have fun, don't we, dear? Absolutely. What are some of the things you like to do now? Well, one of the things that... Uh, that we do. It's a little game. It's called Catch Me If You Can. My wife invented it. It's not something you can buy over, you know, over the internet or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but my wife invented it just to keep, keep fun in the family if the family's now only two. You still need to have fun? What do you think? This is really weak. <laughs> this is a pretty good congregation out here. Either you're just so wrapped in the message, you're just, or you're just really out of it. (laughs) And uh, anyway, (laughs) so do you think we need to keep fun in the family? Okay, good. Now, I know that sometimes it can be convicting because we aren't doing what we could be or should be, but we're we're keeping fun in, in the marriage. And so my wife has this thing, that little game that we do. I never know when it's going to happen, but it usually happens on... Stairways. (laughs) Stairways. <laughs> and we'll be walking up, and, and we, were, we were actually in, in Romania, and this happened in Romania, it happens lots of places, but yeah. this one was the most recent one. And this year, when my arm was out of the cast. When our arm's out of the cast. And we're going up, 
five flights of stairs. We always end up in these Eastern Bloc um, gray buildings, it seems like, you know, that were, you know, post-communist and they don't have a lot of color. And we stay in the, you know, the lower end ones. There's some really nice places in Romania, but we stay in the... With so the we're on people, about the, with the common we're people. with the common people, and we're up on about the fifth floor, carrying with all, all our of luggage. our luggage up there, which sometimes <laughs> is a lot to haul. They they probably <laughs> they laugh at us because you know we bring these big suitcases, but the reality of it is most of it's not for us because I can pack for three weeks in a little you know 22 inch thing, but we haul stuff for people over there and we take stuff to the orphanage. So here we are with all this luggage. But when you see the Romanians travel, they have these little, you know, soft-sided bags and they'd be gone for a week or two. And they wonder why these Americans come in with these big suitcases, you know. But anyway, so we are hauling them up five flights of stairs. And we used to bring stuff for the, the orphanage. We helped sponsor an orphanage there and we used to bring it in boxes. But you know what happened? You bring stuff in boxes to Romania or many countries and when you get the well, boxes piece is lost. on the other side, you've either lost that piece, it doesn't show up, and you never find it again, or you find it and they've taken all the goodies out of there that you had. You know, we bring special things, special treats for the children. You know, healthy, of course, some of them. Anyway, <laughs> they're gone. They steal them. Yeah, they steal them. Granola you know, the, bars. The custom people, they steal them out, and then they just send what they don't want, you know, like the socks. <laughs> the underwear, the T-shirts. They leave those and they take the goodies out, you know, the little special treats. So now we take them in suitcases and they never bother with them. Okay, so we have all these suitcases. So anyway, we're... Um, well, we had the stuff upstairs. We had it all put away. And we had to go down to the first floor for breakfast. So now we're on our way back up the stairs. And you know what it's like. Just go to a hotel or a public building and walk up the fire case. Fire. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, you know how it echoes and it's kind of cold and damp. Well, that's the way these these stairwells are. And so we are together walking up the first flight, and the thought came into my mind: catch me if you can. But I didn't say anything to him. I just picked up my pace because I have learned that if I say that and I'm too close, it doesn't work. He gets me right away, and it's scary. So. <laughs> So I'm walking up, and now I, I turn the corner, and I'm going up the second landing toward the second level, because there's two landings per, per flight, and I'm a whole half of stairwell ahead of him, staircase, and I look down, and I say, catch me if you can, and then I take off running as fast as I can, and I can't help but just ah, run as fast as I can up the stairs, which you can only imagine how that sounds in a concrete stairwell. So here you have this man... <laughs> chasing this woman who's screaming and she's in a total panic <laughs> I, I mean it, it is hilarious because she's actually terrified <laughs> because she hears me getting closer and I'm saying honey don't fall down yeah, please but, don't but fall down you're also doing like that <laughs> and that just finishes me off and I am just sweating and I'm running as fast as I can and I get to the top of the stairs and I, I make a quick turn down the hallway because the object is I have to get to our door before he catches me and I just barely get there and I'm just we're in our own world okay totally oblivious to anybody of the other residents who live in this building for, for five levels so the next morning when we made ourselves very, you know, dignified people, Americans walking down five flights of stairs to breakfast. 
There are doors opening, <laughs> staring at us, wondering. Crazy Americans. Yeah. Anyway, sorry we have not represented our country so fairly. <laughs> so we, we were sharing this story in Romania. and Because we're trying to get them to have fun in their families. They, <laughs> like we're trying to get you to. They, they tend to be uh, coming out reserved. of com- yeah, communism. They do tend to be more reserved. And so we're trying to brighten them up a little bit and, and get them doing things. And so after we shared this, uh, this little adventure we had... We were walking at the pastor's by, by the pastor's house, and he got in his vehicle, and he came up beside us in his vehicle. Catch me if you can. <laughs> <laughs> and then he poured it. No. So don't play it in cars. It's only on foot, okay? But it's fun. Or on bicycles. Uh, anything with rollers. Anything with yeah, wheels. Yeah. Well, we. I try to keep her on the ground nowadays, okay? We try to keep, our, keep ourselves with our feet on the ground. The other day we, we, had, we had some young men and their fam- some families visiting us. And uh, somebody got the idea of running a race around the house. One started here and went this way around, and the other started here and went this way. And that happened a couple times, and then... My dear wife said, oh, I want to do it too. I said, no. <laughs> you just sit right here. And she says, well, honey, I want to have fun too. I still like to. I said, I know, but I don't want you falling on that arm. He is so afraid I'm going to fall. But, you know, to be honest. You could fall. I could fall. <laughs> I could fall over nothing, actually. And I have done it more than a few times. So that's why he's worried about me running. Anyway, but, I did give her, finally, I, I, I relented because she was... Wanted to do it so bad. So I raised this, this, this young guy. He was um, 27. It was my birthday. I just turned 57. I had 30 years on him. And, he and she had, was thinking that she might be able to <laughs> and win. He and he had time on me. I had time one side, but he had time the other way on me. Anyway, I ran it barefoot because we just put a sidewalk all the way around our house. So I ran it barefoot opposite of him. And it was scary because when we came around to the front of the house where the, there's a patio, it widens out. That's the point you're supposed to pass, okay, not on the little narrow sidewalk. And I see this boom coming at me. I Whoa, I slowed right down, you know. <laughs> So I said, you scared me over there. I had to slow down. But anyway, we, I said, it's because you had shoes on that you beat. Anyway, we ran it again. He ran barefoot. He was a good sport. And the fact was, it, I you can't just... run as fast as he can. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, fun. keeping fun in our families, however that looks, okay? But, but purposely taking the time. Our children will love us for it, okay? And it's a simple investment, and it feels like a huge investment sometimes, but I tell you, the busyness of life will never go away. It will always be there, and so our children won't always be there, so we need to take time. Yeah, and we need to take time for ourselves to That's do right. fun things together, and we do that. We're looking at different things we, do, we can do, and uh, now that almost most of the work projects are getting closer to being done. We have more time to have fun, right? That's right. Well, we have fun working together, too. That's right. So, another area that was very, very practical and helpful in our family, we call family council. 
And the family council could be called by anyone in the family who felt there was a need for something that needed to be better or, you know, something that wasn't going right. And the family council worked like this. If one of us as parents called a family council, it would be in the evening for our talk time. And we would come together, and the person who had the burden, mom or dad or one of the young people, Whoever requested it would have the first opportunity to share what was on their hearts. Okay? Uninterrupted. And if it was something that was really upsetting them or something really they thought was going wrong, it's okay. You can express it. We'll all listen. Just respect everybody. Do it in a nice tone of voice. And we'll listen. Okay? Won't interrupt you. But those family councils proved to be a great tool for communication, a great tool for, for strengthening the family. And I remember once Josiah, our youngest, he, he came to me and he said, Father, can we have a family council? And I said, so what, what's going on? He said, I feel like I do more work around here than the girls do, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Sounds like a boy standard, doesn't it? <laughs> and I just don't, this doesn't seem right. Can we talk about this in family council? So I said, sure. So tonight we'll have a family council and you can have your opportunity to share. And wish you could have seen, had a video of that. It was really, it was a very good learning experience, especially for him, okay? <laughs> we let him share his burden and talk about his overwork, okay? How much he was having to do. And then everybody has the chance in a family council to respond. I'll just say it this way. By the end of the family council, he wished that he hadn't highlighted how much he worked (laughs) when he realized how much the girls worked in comparison with him in areas that he wasn't even recognizing. And so that was a good family council. It was a good opportunity You see, sometimes we get in situations with our family, we get in ruts, and it gets into a negative cycle. And mom and dad, or mom, depending on, you know, the situation, just ends up talking about the same things, and why are you doing this, and why won't you do this, and things build, and nothing happens. Nothing positive happens. There's no good communication. There's no, let's talk about what the root issue is here, and and then we'll look for resolutions. I remember one night, Emily was on the hot seat, our middle daughter, the pregnant one. (laughs) She's on the hot seat. And partway through, I was looking at her. I was actually feeling compassion for her because we've all been on the hot seat in the family council, (laughs) including me. (laughs) And here she is. She's in the hot seat. You know, she's the focus. She's been the problem in the situation. And partway through, I just felt kind of overwhelmed with compassion for, for seeing it's like she was she was the one under siege, <laughs> uh, under attack or whatever. I mean, it, it wasn't attacking, but it seemed like the poor thing. And I said, so how you doing, Emily? She said, great. I said, great? How can you be doing great? She said, well, you know, I know that before we get done with this family council, we will have solutions, and we will be a better family as a result. That just sent chills down my spine. 
because it was a tool of productivity for changing the family. They knew that no matter what the, the, the issue was, what the problem was, that there was a vehicle whereby you could be heard, you could be understood, and there would be a processing that would take place. And it was a wonderful opportunity to, to grow as a family. There are several other areas. We're going to just close with one, but this is not an exhaustive list. It's just to stimulate thoughts and appetite, uh, motivate us that we can be actually doing more than we're doing to build stronger families. We want to make our family in the rightful position. We want to be in heaven as an unbroken family, right? Hmm. Then we need to be unbroken here, and we need to guard the things, even if it's ourselves, that cause us to be split apart. So the last area we want to talk about, but it's not the least, and it's not, again, a complete list, is that of binding our families together with God through worship. So often it is easy to let that slide because of the pressures and the busyness and the demands of life. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's amazing that we can get other things done and we keep other things in the schedule and we can keep other things moving along. But oftentimes it's the worship time that gets shortened or later or skipped or maybe it's not even in the schedule at all. So here is a prime opportunity. And if we look at when God created the world... He took time every day for his family, didn't he? After they were created? Was he busy? Yeah. I mean, if we put it in human terms, he would be very busy, right? I mean, he's running universes out there besides our own. But he took time every day for communion with his family and to bind their hearts to his heart. And we have that same privilege. We cannot use the excuse before God that, well, Lord, I just didn't have any time. Because that's not going to fly. We have all been given equal amounts of time. And God made no mistakes when he created the 24-hour day. He knew that if we would be committed to honor him, we could put in place in our families a portion of that day for him, just as he established when he created us as his family. And we need to include that in our families every day. Making worship practical... Making it meaningful is so important, especially that worship grows with the children. That means when our children were little and, and we caught the vision for family worship, that we made worship time very meaningful to toddlers, okay? And that meant for us, you know, I've got two knees and I'd have one child on one knee and one child on the other and, and the third one would, would rotate in the evening worship, and we'd rotate around because I only have two, two knees, okay? But I had them on my lap where, you know, we were doing the Bible stories then with the children, and then we would take the, the lesson and we would make it practical. How do you make it practical for a, for a five-year-old? Let's just use that example because I can remember sitting in our RV when we were building our home in Montana, Allison's five years old, and we're teaching them how to do chores. And she didn't necessarily like sweeping the floor thoroughly, okay? Didn't mind sweeping, but I'm talking thoroughly, okay? 
So how do you bring through a lesson simply in family worship that you can carry through the day? So we happen to be talking about the faith of Abraham. So yeah, you can talk about Abraham offering his son Isaac on the altar and what faith that took, but how does that connect with a five-year-old mind, okay? Well, we took the faith and we talked about it in very simple terms in, a, in how faith works in sweeping the floor in a five-year-old's mind. Making it simple, making it practical, talking about how self comes up in sweeping the floor, because we know how it works, right? As parents, we know how self comes up, and how we can let the Lord have our access to us and change those attitudes. And then in evening worship, we would revisit that, making faith practical. And as the children grew, they still couldn't read, but we would read, I mean, we went through the, the conflict of the ages. How many books did we read through the years? The, Dozens. We, we read many, many books, got testimonies. And as our children would, would sit there, we would get, worship would grow. Went from grew, 10, 10 or 15 minutes. And as they grew, you know, it went to longer. And normally it was about 30 minutes as they were older. But we would have them read and repeat after us. And it was amazing how much more they would learn. We would just do a couple of paragraphs but we would take time to make it meaningful. We would sing songs. I can't tell you how many hymns our children know all the verses. Was it because it was a school assignment? No. We did it in worship. Every day we're singing hymns. And it was amazing because when I grew up, and I don't know why this was, but the church I grew up in, the oldest church in Michigan, Jackson, the Jackson Church, when I grew up, they only sang the first and last verse. First and last verse. Sing a lot of songs, but first and last verse. In our home, we sang all the verses, and it was amazing all the stories we found out about the hymns. Well, the, the, the hard part was we'd be visiting somewhere, and there wasn't a hymnal, and I only knew the first and last verse, and, and so I'd just lean over and listen to one of the children because they knew all the verses. It's a, it's a blessing. We learned many scripture songs. Just... We made up scripture songs. We took verses out of the Bible and put tunes to it. But it made worship alive. It made it practical. And it had meaning. Yes, and it was... We did not have the issues of, oh, man, i got to go to family worship. And we've seen that. We've been in many homes. And sometimes, because worship isn't really connecting, you know, somebody's just, just, just reading something very quick and there's no application and it seems like a dry formality and the children relate to it like it's a dry formality we can pray that God will make worship come alive so that our young people and we as parents if dad doesn't come to worship how does that make the children feel or if mom's trying to get dad to come away from the computer and the children say well I'm not going to come if dad doesn't come or mom doesn't come whatever the case we can make it what God would have it to be, and it can bind the hearts of our family. Putting family first is it important. Amen. Heard one amen from my wife. <laughs> is it important to put God into our family? Amen. Okay, maybe they didn't hear it the first time. Is it important that we, as parents, make worship practical? Is it important that we make family first?
first priority under God. That's what God is asking us to do, and it pays wonderful dividends in the happiness of the home. So, so we're going to close with prayer, and then remember, after prayer, we'll have two or three minutes that we want you, if this is a time, if you are with your family, you can process for a few minutes. If some of you children have ideas that you've heard that you'd like to incorporate, it's a time to share those with your parents, our parents with your children, so you can, you know, talk amongst yourselves. We want it to be a time that we don't just hear something and go away thinking, oh yeah, I should do that or that was good. We want to hear something and talk about what we're going to do to be different, and that includes us as well. So we're going to go to our knees and ask the Lord to help us process this down in a few minutes of time. All right, let's, let's kneel together as we close. We're thankful for the opportunity to be encouraged to put our families first. Help us to be practical, to be purposeful. And in the few moments that we have as the piano plays tonight, as we reflect and as we talk together for ways that we can make our family first. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each of our hearts, that it will be a meaningful time and that it will be a springboard, not just for two or three minutes to meditate on, but that we will not leave this camp without having some fresh ideas to really put family first. Bless us, we pray. Through Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.